Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things. All while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Hola, hola, mi gente. We are here because, you know, we wine and chisme, creating the first directory Latino wine brands. I have to feature these Latino owned wineries and these brands because, hello, who would I be if I wasn't? So I'm really excited because our guest today is Sam Para from Para Wine Company. How are you, Sam? Good. How are you, Jessica? Good. I'm good. I'm good enough to be here with you, and I'm excited to try your wine because. I've been saving it. We've been like, I swear we've been trying to work together on something for like two years. <laughs> <laughs> and now finally we get to, I get to taste your wine. I've been saving it because, you know, especially if I know I'm going to have somebody on the podcast, I want to try their wine for the first time while I'm talking to them, because then you get my genuine reaction. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you know, thanks for scheduling the the wine and cheese, man. Of really, course. Really appreciate course. it. Oh, I'm super, like I said, I'm super excited. We've been talking on and off for like all these. And then it's so funny because then I've had a lot of people say, or I've had not a lot, but I've had a handful of people like go to Oregon or they happen to find your wine somewhere. And they're like, oh my gosh, there's this wine that you need to know. And then they say, it's called Para. And I start, I start laughing. I'm like, oh yeah, I know. I'm like, I could call Sam right now if I want. I have his number. <laughs> but it makes me so happy when I, anytime I hear somebody that they found a wine, a Latino-owned winery, and they think, oh my gosh, I got to tell Jessica. But they find it, they buy it because we've been talking about it so much about how we have to support our community and how to do that and everything. So it, it really, really excites me every time I hear somebody say, oh my gosh, I found something or, you know, and then they tell me and, you know, normally I already know yeah. about it, but I love it. It makes me so excited no. because people are paying attention. That brings me joy as well. And I think for, for any wine brand owner, regardless of shape, it really comes down to the joy that our craft really brings to wine consumers out there. And definitely folks see my hustle and my grind out there where, you know, they're popping into whether it's a place in way south in Southern Oregon, Ashland, almost crossing the state line. And they're like, look who's here on the shelf. And all the way north to the beautiful coast city of Astoria. And of course, a big placement is at the Portland a airport, where one really busy French company called Capers Cafe 
have had my wine in the past. And then right now, cha-cha-cha just opened. Uh, big shout out to my friend Javier Diaz, the true entrepreneur Mexicano that owns eight cha-cha-cha through Portland. And I am almost becoming his house wine at all eight locations, including my new can wine. That's so awesome. So if you're listening, if you're especially in your, the, you're in the Portland area, the Portland airport, go find Sam's wine, go find Para wine. But before we get into all of that, I want to read your bio and then we'll drink it. I want to talk about your wine. I want to talk about your story and the new can wine, which I'm really excited about as well. So I will tell uh, you all the cheesements. Yeah, I want to hear all the cheesements. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Para Wine Company was established in 2019 by proprietor Sam Para. Born and raised in St. Helena, he was destined to be in the wine industry. After rising through the ranks for 15 years in both Napa and Sonoma counties, Sam moved to Willamette Valley in the summer of 2016 to begin his journey. Para Wine Company is and will remain a boutique handcrafted wine producer. Over the years, Sam has cultivated friendships with highly respected growers who share the same passion and dedication to the craft. Now, I will say, I think I had told you my sister lives in the Portland area and I kept calling it Willamette Valley. And she's like, no, don't say that. They will correct you. It's Willamette. Now I make sure I say it right because I want to get yelled at by, you know, <laughs> a Portland person saying that's not. <laughs> no, you know, it, even with folks being so laid back out here, I think they would just definitely do a friendly correction. But on the finish, just think of damn it. Lamb it. <laughs> just exactly. Yeah, just just think on damn it on the on the ending. There you go. Well, before we get into the cheese, may we always start with the wine. And I was fortunate enough to get three bottles from you, but I had two are sparkling, so I have not opened them. And then I do have your 2019 Chardonnay. Okay, this says from the Clary Vineyard. Is that, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. So they started out just as a vintner, as a grower, just happy selling grapes. Now that their vineyard is fully mature and fully into production, they did hire a winemaker now and they're taking appointments at their property. So they're no longer selling grapes, but I was happy to buy one ton in 2019. And what you're having was stainless steel fermented, and then two thirds was aged in French oak, neutral French oak, one third in stainless steel. So when you try the wine, even on the nose itself, I mean, you'll, you'll smell the notes of oak. But for me, what's more important is when you taste the wine that the oak will not overwhelm the Chardonnay, that you're still gonna have racy acidity and really vibrant fruit in there that you're gonna taste, whether it's apples, stone fruit, pear. I can definitely smell the apple like first. Yeah, but yeah, give it a try. Okay, salud. Salud. I'm having my brand new 2022 Rosé of Tempranillo. Oh, I can taste the oak, like a little of the oakiness, but it's not really heavy. Yeah. And then I can taste the stone fruit after. It's, you know, it almost tastes like um, nectarine. 
stone fruit. Yeah. I was trying to remember the name. It's it's really good. I can't wait till it gets sunny and hot again here in San Diego. Then I'll feel like I'll really be able to enjoy it. it is I am so over this funky weather we've had this year. It's been yeah, I feel we, like it's been Portland this year. We sure are. We will have a really late harvest this year where it might be one of those things where, you know, I'm barreling down some wine and then later that same day is gonna be time to carve the turkey oh my gosh have that, you have you that, ever had that late of a harvest here in oregon it's happened before yeah when was the last time you had something that late last year oh really it was you had it don't get me late. wrong grapes were not coming in but as far as the process of still making the wine and getting wine in the barrel it's you know we're not looking to ex get any grapes at all until october you know, the thing is here that we are way behind California. California has a beautiful long growing season, but here in Oregon, we had an extreme cold, wet spring and it just delayed everything. I mean, bud break just happened here about three weeks ago. What's, oh, bud break, duh. I, for some reason, yeah. I thought you said bug break. And, and that's what just I was to like. tell you the timing, you know, just so for you to know the timing. It is, yeah. yeah, it's late, but we just have to roll with the punches. And lo que pasa, pasa, ten, tenemos que seguir adelante, no? Yeah. So let me kind of start from the beginning because I know like you come from a family of people that worked vineyards and everything like that back to your grandparents. So can you kind of bring us in like where your grandparents grew up, why they came to California and then why you decided that it was your path to go into wine as well? Of course. So on the, on the Parra side, the paternal side, my grandfather, may he rest in peace and his name was Samuel how I got my middle name. Sam is my, Samuel is my middle name. Didn't he, know that. He, yeah, the full name is Juan Samuel. He came to work through the Bracero program. He was happy to come to the US and work. He had cousins here working through the Bracero program, but he wasn't that much crazy about the culture here in the US. And little by little, he began to save up and basically open a clothing store in a city called Inda Parapel. It's outside of Morelia, the capital of Michoacan. My maternal side, a very different story. You have met my uncle Jerry. I have. My grandmother, may she rest in peace, Carmen uh, Martinez. She was born in Illinois because her parents were already working through the Bracero program. And when depression came around, they actually benefited to go back to Mexico and work in a family hacienda. So my grandmother was born in Illinois, but she moved to Mexico. I believe she might have been like two or three years of age. Then eventually, you know, met my grandfather. They're from Jalisco. And she was already a citizenship, which made the process a lot easier for my grandfather at the tail end of the Bracero he would be the one traveling back and forth and with her as well. Eventually, they had 10 kids, five women, five men. Have you met Gonzalo as well, Jerry's brother? 
No, I have not. Because you only interviewed Bob that's in Southern California. Yeah, Bob and Jerry came on together, yeah. Yeah, so it's my uncle Gonzalo and Jerry, founders of Vinos Unidos, and then good friends of the family, Bob and his son got involved with Vinos Unidos. Yeah, on the maternal side, Martinez, I also had other great uncles that worked at vineyards for, and I'm talking decades. And just to see you know, the, the body toll of, of my grandfather, Manuel, like hip surgery, knee surgeries. And he was always encouraged us to pursue higher learning, whether it's a university, a college or a trade program. He never told us that we do not want to be doing what he's doing. He always just encouraged us to pursue higher learning. Mm-hmm. And then of course it trickled down to the next generation where the oldest of the son, my uncle Juan Martinez, at one point was vineyard manager for Opus One. Oh, wow. So, so talk about my upbringing. Let me just give you a very clear memory in a childhood that I just recall. And it's just very slow motion. And it just like happened like yesterday where I was playing outside with my cousins. My grandparents lived in Rutherford at the time. And, you know, my, my grandmother would be like, hey, you know, el, el niños ya entren, vamos a cenar pronto. Están bien mojados y sucios from playing outside. Well, you know, my grandfather had one of those late, late evenings where he might have had a few beers with friends after work. You know, he arrived to home a little later than expected and grandma and the family was waiting. And of course, you know, he, he came through and grandma was keeping it cool not to put him on the spot. But it was one of those things where my grandfather's like sitting and to me it was like so slow motion where (laughs) when he hit the chair, you can just see the dust like bouncing off him. And it was just so clear of all the sweat just dripping and getting everything wet on his shirt. Mm -hmm. And for myself, I'm so young at the time where I just repeated the same thing that my grandmother told me earlier. And I said, Back then, I would just call him Lito instead of Abuelito. Uh-huh. And I said, Lito está bien mojado y sucio. Limpiese. <laughs> and there's one of those things like memories like that, that break the ice, you know, on the table and everybody's just cracking up. And and I can just see him like cracking up and like just the, te- the sweat just running from him where, again, just memories like that were for myself, like, you know, I'm talking about being like three, four years of age, you know? Yeah. And then eventually more memories come about where having gatherings with family and myself in high school, they would share wine, but it wasn't about to just slap this wine back. It was about sipping the wine and listening to them where the grapes are from, what the wine's about, and what to pair it with. So I can clearly tell you my first epiphany my senior year in high school was Frog's Leap Sauvignon Blanc paired with ceviche. Really? From there, Jessica, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm truly blessed that with my generation, you begin to see the first wave of Latinos in Napa, like working in the tasting room, not, no longer just in the vineyard of production. Yeah. Like actually working at prestige wineries, like, you know, and here we are, most of us having either Monday, Tuesday, or Tuesday, Wednesday off because we work weekends. You know, you have to work for when the tourists are there. Yeah. And imagine from my age 
how many 18, 21 year olds are across the US on a Tuesday night opening or having, bringing the leftover bottles from work and having just insane wines that are 150 a bottle. I mean, you know, there's people my age. Well, I don't even do I, that. You know, well, imagine that, Jessica, for us back then, you know, like 150, 120 a bottle back in 2000, that was a lot of money. When did you start at like what? Because I mean, obviously, drinking wine to get drunk is very different than drinking wine to appreciate it, right? To have something to sip on, to have something to to talk with, what you know. Um, yeah. When do you remember that your appreciation for wine starting? Getting into the wine business at 21. So at 21, like, you were like, okay, this is for me. Yeah, at 21, this is my jam. Where No pun intended. <laughs> no, no, right. Or pun intended. <laughs> not, not at all. Because even, even back then, no, even to this day, I become more sensitive to beer, like anything from an IPA or heavier. It just doesn't sit well in my system at all. Yeah. And I had plenty of years of, you know, having some liquor, never to the extreme of, you know, having friends at San Diego State and taking trips to Tijuana and Rosarito. Rosarito. Oh, yeah. we, we've all, <laughs> or even at that age, vacationing through Mexico, where we've all been there of having one too many tequila shots in general or other liquor that you get into where, yeah, at one point, I can say quickly at 21, Jessica, again, we were attending the Napa Valley wine auction, the Magnum party at Trevigny. We were already hanging with ballers, pero éramos, no, no pobres, pero éramos pues de la sociedad de, de la mano de obra, but we were happy. Yeah. And we were included, which is a big thing. I just want to reflect on this. And, and this is not meaning anything bad to associations happening in Napa right now where there's so many programs talking about DEI mm -hmm. and people not feeling included. I clearly recall friends that have been put through college because of winery owners helping the parents out that busted their tails for decades in the vineyard. Don't tell me that's not a part of DEI. Equality. No, I think I'm, uh, so for one, if just, I mean, I'm sure everybody listening knows, but just as a clarification, DEI is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I love that for, for those families and for everything. Unfortunately, there are a lot of companies that don't necessarily do that, that don't, you know, yeah. for all the ones that do, there's a lot more that exploit people from communities of color versus help. So we do need to talk about the, the companies that are rewarding these employees, not just rewarding them, but just really bringing them into a full rounded, these opportunities that they may not otherwise get. So I think it is important to shout out those businesses that are like progressive and just treating humans like humans, right? As they should be. But we also need to make sure that we continue to call out those companies that aren't doing that as well. Of course. Yeah, of course. And again, I didn't mean to put it out that way, how there's so many companies evolving with DEI programs and, and nonprofits getting involved with that, where I can truly say that I didn't realize how good I had it, Jessica, mm -hmm. growing up. I hear it to this day how, oh, you know, Napa is so racist. I feel that in that, in that area is more based on classes of out in society. Yeah. Versus, I could see that. 
versus the race factor because here's the thing. I began to see the shift in my hometown of St. Helena, of Santa Elena. I began to see the shift in the late 80s where the mom and pop stores could not afford the lease anymore. And a lot of the boutique stores moved in. Mm -hmm. And, And that's good for commerce. And it's sad to see all these families that existed in town way before I've been alive where they're no longer there. All these stores that I remember growing up, like, you know, mom and pop pizza joints or local pharmacy stores. They had a little grease spoon restaurant in the back of them. Those are all, again, really, really expensive stores. And again, I'm for business growth and commerce. So, but I think that's happening right now a lot in Calistoga was like the last balance of mom and pop and boutiques. Mm -hmm. And now everything in Napa County, because it's such a small county where now you see a lot of folks that grew up there are commuting from either Rio Vista or Cordelia or, or Lake County because they basically got priced out. And one of the reasons why we are in Oregon, it's we've seen our gains out here, Jessica, in such a short time. I mean, here's my testimony here. I mean, in general, more recently, I did research. I do know one one Latino brand in Texas. And I know in California, this does not exist. And it's for sure going to be covered in the media, my friend. I am oh, the first. Yeah. I am the first domestic Latino brand owner domestically canning wine. I mean, that is so awesome. I can't wait to like go next time I'm in Oregon to go up there and to the try airport, it. Cha, cha. Okay. So I actually, you kind of started heading into the direction that I wanted to go to in regards to why you moved to Oregon, because obviously you spent a lot of time honing your craft. You decided at 21, you wanted to get into the wine industry and you know, it's kind of like this whole family thing, but you end up in Oregon. So first is the Santa Maria sellers. Is that the Latino winery you were talking about in Texas? I have to go back to the email. I have a mutual friend and in Sonoma County that emailed me with this gentleman in Texas. Uh-huh. And he is part owner of, of a brand. And I just asked him, well, hey, have you seen any canned wine owned by Latinos in Texas? And he's like, here? He's like, no way. He goes, not at all. Because I um, the only reason I'm asking, if you can give me that name, yeah. because I've, I was only able to find one Latino-owned winery in Texas. And obviously, yeah. we would want to add them to the directory if they are Latino-owned or even half Latino-owned. But okay, back to my original question. That's what happens. Yeah, so I do have have deep roots in Oregon. So uh, my first winery job in Napa was Pine Ridge Winery. Have you been there? No. It's in the Stags Leap District. And they founded a winery called Archery Summit, a really high-end winery up here in Oregon and Dundee. And here I am at 21. We are flying out of Engwin. Do you know where Engwin is? Howell Mountain? In Napa? No. Have you been to wineries like Via there? Okay, so um, most of the wineries I've been to are the Latino-owned wineries. I haven't got been it, got to it. very many um, non-Latino wineries in Napa. Make an appointment at Via there. Okay. The woman is the Argentina. Okay, and I've been to Ashens and Diamonds. Sorry, I've been there too. Yeah, well, there we are flying from Engwin to McMinnville. They're flying us in a Cessna. And I'm part of the event of the special events crew, okay? Uh-huh. But imagine for a 21 year old 
to be selected from all these employees and be like the owner saying, you're coming with us, man. You're, you're cool. That's like him going down the line and giving out the, the middle finger, right? Like <laughs> F you, F you, Sam, you're coming with us. F you. And imagine he wanted me to come out here because I worked my ass off and he wanted some good company. He wanted some, some people para la pinche parranda. <laughs> I like how you're like, simple. he wanted good company. So of course he's going to ask me. <laughs> and imagine for a 21 years of age, you know, you're thinking you're balling, right? Oh yeah. On a, on a little private Cessna coming out to Oregon and working. Even now but I'd be I'll... like, I'm balling. <laughs> yeah. So I got to visit out here back then. And back then, I mean, there were, there were very few wineries, Jessica. It was very spread out. So it reminded me a lot of Mendocino County. And I fell in love with the area back then, but I did not see myself back then. Definitely not moving out here at all. I mean, my longtime friends and all my family, everybody's in Napa, Jessica. Well, I'm sorry. Some cousins have moved out to other areas like Connecticut, Nevada, but everybody is in Napa County. Majority still in Napa. Majority still in Napa. So it's one of those things where your just sister. With age, I got to meet your sister. She's in yeah, Napa. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Again, you know, talking about seeing our gains in a very short period of time out here. So I released in 2019. I started very small. Do you like Viognier? I do. Yeah, started with Viognier, a Rosado, the Tempranillo, and a Still Tempranillo, and I started with three tons. This coming harvest, I'm going to process 16 tons. Wow. One ton of grapes gives you roughly 55 cases of wine. One ton. So you're going to have, and so you're I doing started, 16 tons? Correct. So that's, and every, is that 800 and cases around? Well, you know, you can go 16 times five. That's 800. Yeah. So dang. That, that consists of two can wines. My Vino Blanco, and they're both fourth, forced carbonation. They're not traditional champagne, but, you know, they have bubbles, like the two sparklings that I gave you. Mm -hmm. Those are not traditional champenoise. That is a long-time traditional champagne. Yeah. I don't have time for that, Jessica. I need, <laughs> I need money. I need revenue coming in in order to pay bills because I don't have any partners. I don't have a bank loan. I'm growing organically, Jessica, and with very true cautious, especially what's taking place this year, you know, with everybody being so, or some folks being nervous about the economy. Yeah. So with that, you, I'm get, you have a traditional or not traditional job, but you have beyond that you're working, right? You're working a regular job on top of everything that you're doing for Bada Wine. Is that correct? Correct. So I work Thursday through Sunday. I work 10 to five. And that allows me for my commute where I live in Dallas, Oregon, west of Salem, and especially during harvest, to stop in at the co-op and obviously do some work, make wine, and then go to my daytime employer and then come back in the evening for what takes longer periods of time, like a pump over on wine, and then come back home where during that time of the year at harvest, like many others, you know, you leave your house at seven, eight in the morning, you don't get home until eight or nine. How does that affect your family time and your family life? How are you able to, are you able to, or try to balance that out? Well, I'm definitely uh, happy to be a dog dad. <laughs> so even I get even, it. I'm even, a dog mom. I have two dogs. Yeah, that's even, all that's happening yeah. here. <laughs> 
even the dog at that time gives me the stink eye. <laughs> you don't take the dog out to the vines with you? Not at all. I, at that time of the year, just basically come home and take him, take the dog out in the backyard for a quick minute at least. <laughs> throw, throw the Frisbee around a little bit since we have the long days, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you have been working on all of these wines. Obviously, I'm really enjoying this Chardonnay, by the way. I will definitely finish. Gracias. I won't finish the bottle, but I'll definitely finish this glass easily. I won't judge you. But it's okay. I have my Corvin, so it makes oh, my it. life a lot easier. Yeah, I was not going to judge you. You can slap that bottle back upside <laughs> down if you want. Oh, my gosh. Let me tell you, when we were doing our virtual wine tastings, oh, easily I would go through a bottle of wine. Yeah. <laughs> easily I would go through yeah. one. And, yeah, now I'm, I'll definitely probably, I need it today, right? So I'll probably be drinking. Maybe I'll go into a second glass. But I want to, like, I do want to save some for a nice hot day. Like, as soon as that sun's out, I'm going to be popping this, pop the cork <laughs> instead of just using the Coravin. So, obviously, you've been working for the last several years on these wines. I want to go back to what you're talking about in regards to the um, canned wine, because obviously, over the last few years, you have sparkling, or you have these seltzer drinks. You have this, and there was going to be an obvious pattern into can wines, and there have been some can wines that have come out and everything already. Taste okay, some not so much. So tell me about your process in wanting to get into can wine. Yeah, the very, the very first thing I will mention in general, why I simply got into canning wine, plain and simple, Jessica, is that the new consumers just turning 21 or even to the age of 23, a lot of them are actually scaling back on consuming alcohol. That's why you're seeing a boost on non-alcoholic wine and, and mixed drinks in general. And then also what's been taking place for many years now too, Jessica, is that you know many young folks go to college and sometimes they're so in depth from school um, loans where a lot of them still are, are moving back home, even though they're young professionals, where they're a bit more cautious on their spending. So instead of buying a complete bottle of wine, my cans are 250 ml, one third of a bottle in a can. And so that's that's the number one choice for canning wine. It's a category that's going to be growing, Jessica. And for myself, to physically take my wine to a facility that is canning wine on a small volume like this, it is pretty rare anywhere in the U.S., Jessica. The second factor I want to point out is that the cost of glass keeps going up. And so for what used to be my affordable white wine, I would still call it vino blanco. And what used to be my affordable rosé, I would call it rosado. This is a more economical option for my business being so small. And again, for the cost of glass going up, I found the option instead of bottling the pallet, the you know the fifty plus cases of an affordable vino blanco, mm -hmm. I'm going to be canning that instead. So two factors, you know. Yeah. Again, following the trend of young consumers and plain and simple, what makes a sense for my business, Jessica? Seeing what the like you said, the trend of what's happening next. 
I just kind of proved it myself, right? I'm like, I don't and, feel and like you, opening up the to, whole bottle. Yeah. I just want, yeah, you know, right. to have a nice glass right now as I'm having this conversation with you. How do you yeah. maintain the quality in regards to what goes into a canned wine versus a bottle? Everything is the same where my white blend and my rosé, right from fermentation, would have been stored on stainless steel. Mm-hmm. And it would have been stored from late October through the end of February when I bottle it. Now with canned wine, I'm going to be making the wine again in the fall. And I'm going to be canning my first one, possibly in January of 2024, Jessica, where I want to give you the little insight. I'm going to add a red wine. And I've already been doing experimenting at home with Pinot. I've been adding hibiscus, Jamaica. Ooh. Not the juice, like the actual leaf. I've been buying like really affordable Pinot at Grocery Outlet. Uh-huh. And I've been putting really small amount of Jamaica because Jamaica can be really tricky, Jessica. As you know, it's a very tannic drink. Yes. And it's not about the sweetness. The sweetness comes from the addition of sugar. But I don't want the wine to be too tannic Because then when you add forced carbonation on top of that, imagine getting the pucker on your lip from tannins and add on top of that the fizz of bubbles. I don't think it's going to really going to counter that dryness of the pucker. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to make it more extreme where you're going to end up like a pucker on the tip of your tongue and you're still going to get the fizz on the back end where I, I want the wine to be more in harmony, my friend. Or I got to start really small in increments and do a test trial. And then I got to multiply that on the hibiscus um, by the tonnage, basically, you know, to, and, and anyways, it's going to be like a form of, of a uh, sangria, but I think I might call it sangria. <laughs> there you I go, like my, sangria. Love it. I, I like my wine puns, you know. I like it. I like it. That's a lot of science that I don't understand, and I'm glad I don't have to understand it. And you, my friend, who does, because I don't know. (laughs) And I don't have a bottle behind me, but uh, I actually have a Cabernet Franc called Let's Be Franc About It. Do you really? (laughs) Yeah. Here, hold on. Let me me at least reach over and get the the libel. Okay, hold on. And I have this on shirts. If you want to do that, you can do a screenshot. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Here, I'll let me, I will do a screenshot just because that is really awesome. Let me see if it'll I can text me. it to you later, too. Yeah, text it to me. That's great. Let's that's be so frunk. great. Let's be frank yeah. about it. I do like Cab Franc, so, you And know. then one of my red wines, I call it Consulta. You know, the Consulta is usually with a therapist. <laughs> yes, that's what I was but, like. But the wine, the wine is a therapist. Oh, my God, Sam. Okay. You, you well, I, 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 get, stop, I make stop. a lot of, I got a, I got a, I'm truly on a Latino brand. So I have a dessert wine, a white dessert, dessert wine called, called Postre Lujoso. <laughs> my, my port is called Dulce Remedio. Oh my gosh. And of course, you know, my, instead of my white wine, it's of course my Vino Blanco. Mm-hmm. And, and then the other can wine, instead of Rosé, it's Rosado. And that's about it so far, as far as the Latino influence names on the label. Yeah. But obviously, you know, one thing that I will say every, for every, I think you can really taste a difference, at least for me, 
versus these really, really huge mass-produced wines versus these really small brands. And not to say that some of these mass-produced brands aren't good. There's some really great ones. But I have definitely found that not just only my support for smaller wineries and Latino wineries in particular, but I've just found that there's like this love. And I think this love comes from truly working the land and a lot of families coming and a lot of these brand owners having families and roots that really started from like your family in the Bracero program, same with my grandpa, but he didn't work on vines. He worked in citrus, picking citrus fruits and and avocados and stuff. So I just feel like, I don't know, there's this love and appreciation for the land that I feel like you just don't get in a lot of places and in a lot of brands and a lot of wine like you do in these wines. And, you know, for me, it was truly honored of uh, Hispanic and wines where I was one of two Oregon brands to be invited to the Latinx Wine Summit. And it was my first time where, you know, I got to meet, you can say in the wine industry, my man crush. Who's your man crush? I finally get met in person, the almighty uh, Chris Rivera. Oh, <laughs> you know, we, We've always, big shout out to Chris Rivera, you know, talking about another guy that hits the pavement and just works his ass off, you know. I've exchanged emails with him, DMs, and finally began to have some phone calls. And finally, you know, I mean, he was already busy by the time I said hello to him at the Latinx Wine Summit. Oh, as you saw, you know, uh, you you showed up as well. He joined us with my family for for dinner. Yeah. And it was one of those things where just hearing his story, but just his branding tied in with the asset culture where, you know, back in the day when I was in, in the timing of kind of that Tupac era and kind of just tattoos uh. being like, I, I definitely have the biggest one is in the back for myself where I definitely have regrets getting some of them. And back then, for me, I'm like, man, I got to get some some Aztec designs on me. But I got my tattoos like between 18 and 20. Uh-huh. I went like really too extreme on tattoos. And getting a little older, I'm like, nah, I kind of grew out of it quickly. And this one, but that, I got yeah. this when I was 43. Okay. This is my first tattoo. Yeah, I got mine mighty young or even... I mean, I got I got a few that eventually got worked on to mm. away from really bad tattooing that I got in high school. <laughs> yeah, that's I, so I, funny. Cheese mess, you know. No, no, that's awesome. But yes, we love Chris. Chris is a friend of the Wine and Cheese podcast. He's yeah. um actually the Say Solis. There's they're sponsoring a lot of the wine for the for the podcast tour this year. And yeah. I've loved to see how much he's grown since he started. Literally, we met like right when he started and he had reached out to me and we've become friends. He was the very first brand owner that I had on the podcast. Oh, wow. Three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, also too, I wanted to ask you because of your neighborhood. I mean, I know they're more North of LA, but I've also exchanged some DMs. And I look forward to meeting them in person one day is uh, Esfuerzo. Oh, yeah. He was at our L.A. event. Yeah, he's in. He's oh. out of, yeah. 
So I've, you're... I've exchanged. I've ha we have not had a phone call or any email exchange. It's been more DMs, like just shout outs. You'll like Fiddy. You'll like Fiddy. But again, He's awesome. you know, talk about one of his labels, how he has uh, like like that black and white photo. Yeah. Of uh, I'm not sure if his grandfather or his dad from that era, Jessica. You yes. can just when you grew up in families like that era, you can tell. you see a photo like that, you know you know that that means so much to that guy. And I mean, and for him, I mean, he's in a full-on venture in the farming side as well. Oh, yeah. But something like that, it's like, man, big shout out to somebody embracing, obviously, the head of the of the family. I'm not sure if that person in that photo is still alive or not. But I'm like, yes, that that is what it's about. You know, yeah. nuestra cultura, nuestras raíces, and just really... Really, really not forgetting where where you come from, even for the really, really hard work that our family went through to put us where we are now. Jessica, it's what it's what's what about? Uh, you know what, Sam? This is honestly one of the things that I have have loved, have really come to love and appreciate so much in regards to this wine community, right? Because they support each other so much, but particularly within the Latino wine, like just what I've seen, right? Because I've kind of inserted myself into it a few years ago. Yeah. But all of you guys have even embraced me so much and the podcast and what I'm doing and what I'm trying, you know, like you guys, like when I initially sent an email saying like, this is what I want to do. I had so much amazing feedback from all of you and I love that. Like it's, it's still, a, it's like a, it's just like this huge family that you guys have let me in the door as well. And I appreciate yeah. that. And I see how emotional <clears throat> you get about like your family and your history and all of like what this should be about. So I just want to say like, thank you as well for letting me welcoming me into this family of this Latino wine family that I never knew I was going to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's been really yeah, no, awesome. That's why, that's why I mentioned to you that I really look forward. Um, that's why I want to reach out to uh, an organization like that in L.A. when we chatted earlier about the Mexican-American film festival for like myself, not being in distribution in California. I just emailed the guy and said, look, I just want to share my craft. I have a couch to crash in when I'm there. <laughs> I'll book the flights. I'll ship the wine ahead of time. I just said, please, you know, just don't charge me for a table fee, man. Like, even though I have a wine brand, like, don't don't let this fool you, man. I don't own any land. I don't own a winery. Like, I'm I'm the one person operation where if you let me in, I just want to share my craft for free. Yeah. So that's a huge thing that you are a one man operation because it takes a lot. Like I said, you have a you have another job, all your spare time, you're you're working on your craft and your wine and, and how to expand. Do you have a, does Pato Wine have a wine club? No. So I send out a mailing list three times a year. Mm -hmm. It's offered in um, November, early November, in February, and then in April. Because come May through early October, I don't want to deal with the shipping, Jessica. Yeah getting hot in so many states, the fees going up on refrigerated trucks or air, air freight, that expense goes on to the consumer, not me. 
And I don't have too many options here in Oregon as far as the shipping companies where I just offer my mailing list and let consumers have the freedom to pick out what they want. I feel that the wine club advantage, Jessica, is obviously when you go to a tasting room and get free tastings mm-hmm. and you get to attend free events. I don't have a tasting room right now. I'm slowly getting there. Yeah. I'm not, I'm just not to the point of growing this enough. You know, some folks are like, hey man, you're ready for a bank loan. Just take the growth and pursue it full time. It's just too risky sometimes, Jessica, where I've seen I've seen too much of this over time. I'm gonna turn 46 at the end of this month, at the end of June. You know, I've well, seen happy I've seen a lot birthday. I, happy no, thank you. Birthday. I've seen a I've seen a lot over time and heart heartbreak of brands that just I think try to excel too much mm-hmm. and bit way too much that they can chew. And all of a sudden, you know, like the financial crash back in what, 2008, where so many of the mom and pops went belly up. And I saw so many brand owners, just the heartbreak that they went through on these beautiful brands that were just getting started and that happened. So again, for following trends and what's taking place with the economy right now, not only did I shift to this too, but I also bottled two wines in half bottles, Jessica. In half bottles? Yeah, because I I do a pop-up and, you know, my rosé might be 24 bottle. And let's face it, there might be some young consumers that see my Syrah at 30 a bottle and my rosé at 24. They're like, man, we we like these wines. And, you know, I, I think it's more a matter of just being, asking the right questions and really getting more of the feeling that they like the wine, but they cannot determine one or the other, I can be like, hey, why don't you buy one of each? Guess what? I have half bottles. Uh, You know what, Sam? I swear you're like really looking for being a one man show. You've really thought of a lot of different things. That's so crazy. I have to be cautious. I, I think at this level, there's just so little wiggle room for mistakes, Jessica, where you just have to be so careful. Where can people find your wines now? And where can they get you know, the canned wines? So here's the thing. I'm not in distribution at all in any states. And this is what I've, I was just on a different podcast. And I cannot be more clear about this, Jessica. I know so many folks are so on the go these days with make it as easy as possible on e-commerce. With, you know, some some folks understand when you shop on e-commerce, the platform that's running the e-commerce site is going to take a percentage. And then guess what? Then the company of the credit card is going to take another percentage. I cannot be more clear about this, Jessica. And I think it really has to do with, again, talking about different generations. Where I can truly say where I come from, the generation where I am not freaking shy to pick up the phone and make the call. That's the way I sell wine too, Jessica. I make a lot of phone sales, a lot of phone calls to my mailing list members and chat about the wine. So this is the what I got to say for consumers out there that are looking to support the Seis Soles, myself, any mom and pop business owners, reach out to them, whether it's a DM, whether it's an email, or plain and simple, pick up the phone and call them. I, I will call you right back. Yeah. Because when you're buying directly from a company, away from the website, 
you are doing them a huge, huge favor, Jessica. Same with Solorio. We were talking about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There, here's another prime example. Actually, you know, um, I actually worked for a hot minute with his daytime employer. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That was so funny when I was in his tasting. He's like, oh, let's take a picture. Wait, I think I have a bottle of of Sam's wine, of Para wine. Let's take yeah. a picture with it. And I was like, all right, we'll send yeah, it to yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. And you noticed. I mean, you can't see that. You can definitely not see the the label very clearly. But I had a DM from you saying, "Is that my wine?" <laughs> yeah. And it was. Wait, do you have um Jose wine caves back there too? A bottle uh, of the width of yeah. This whole lineup here. These yeah. are all my wines. Oh really? Like it just yeah. looks the the from far away. It looks a little. The label looks a little bit similar. So my my rosado that used to be in the can. This is the bottle that you saw at Solorio. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So my my quote in the back of this bottle, it says El Toro y el Matador decide to make wine, not war. We can all learn from them. Salud. That's lovely. And and imagine these. My first rosé came out in 2019, but that quote has to go a long way with what's going on in the world right now with poor Ukraine, you know, fighting for their mm -hmm. lives, for their rights, for their country. Yeah. But that quote for me is more of the make love, not war wine style, basically. Mm -hmm. And I don't have any roots to Spain, but on the label, instead of a Toro and Matador fighting each other, they're making wine together, getting tipsy. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. I'm picking up what you're putting yeah. down. With your canned wines, are those ready for to be sold as well yet? Or are you still working oh, on no, all those? I'm sorry. Yeah. So how can people get the my wines is again, the best thing is reach out to me directly. I can ship, but again, it's getting pretty hot in certain states in general, but I can send them shipping rates, but it's going to, it's going to be going up in general again for companies refusing to go ground shipping like they should, because you're shipping wine. Yeah. But for folks listening and in, in here in Oregon, I just began to Go place the cans. The biggest one would be all the cha-cha-chas throughout Portland. Also, different places like ranging from Hillsboro to Salem, places in Eugene, you know, that's where the ducks are. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, in Corvallis, that's where the that's where uh, University of Oregon, the Beavers, big college cities, again, going back to the age factor, that's where the cans are picking up momentum. Wow. What yeah. do you think is next for what? Or I mean, I'm just imagining you're really concentrating on the cans and stuff like that. But what is what is next for you, Sam? Next for me is collaborate as much as possible. I believe I sent you the article of the vineyard management companies that I'm working with that are Latino owned. Yes. Where eventually I would love to find a small space to just make my whites and rosés in, in my own co-op. And I'll continue to make my reds at a different co-op, but just make whites and rosé in my co-op where I can help out these Latino vineyard management companies start their own brand as well, Jessica. Sorry, I just want to make sure, like for people who don't know what a wine co-op is, can you explain what that is a little bit? Yeah, of course, a co-op is a cooperative where you lease and rent space to be a bonded winery facility where you still buy grapes, you bring them to a sanitized cooperative facility that is approved 
on a national federal le le level by the TTB as a bonded winery to make wine on site. That's great. And I probably sounded weird when you're, I came out. I, was, I feel like I'm thinking start, of 50 yeah. million questions as I'm no, saying that. You know, you're, let me put it on a really small scale. You're basically starting out with a bonded facility that's commercial space. Nothing fancy of a building, Jessica. Yeah. You just need... You that you're just renting need a, with others, right? Yeah, you're renting with others. And to start out in that level, I really only need about, I would say about 1,500 square feet. Just to give you a rough all. estimate, yeah. no, it's not bad at all, because that's that way you get in the lease, and you don't need the heavy equipment of a sorting table or a press, because I can go to a winer nearby and pay him a very small fee to press the grapes, and I transfer that juice to my own co-op and ferment the wine on site, and then I send the wine to a place called a facility where they bottle your wine. And then I can bring the wine legally and store it at my own place. Got it. Okay. So instead, right now I'm paying my wine to be stored mm -hmm. and my overhead will be way lower if I make whites and rosé, which I, I already own so many tanks to make whites and rosé at a very small level. I can make them on site myself where my reds, I still have to go to a co-op because I don't have the, that equipment is very, very expensive. Got but it. to start on a small level like that, it doesn't take much, Jessica. So that's next for me in the works is collaborate with these vineyard managers that want their own brand because we pitch in, ponemos nuestros pesos juntos, and we can make it happen. That's really, really awesome. And I know that you're also part of a Ayuvoy, right, as well. Do you want to explain a little bit of what that is to our listeners? Of course. So plain and simple, Ayuvoy is an acronym is the Asociación de Hispana de la Industria de Vinicola en Oregón y Comunidad. So it started out with a group of Latino professionals. But on the board, it's not just Latinos on the board. We have, we have professionals. One is an actual instructor. With the college, we have this pilot program in of Chemeketa, where right now it's a pilot program to show vineyard stewards we change vineyard worker to vineyard steward a term of empowerment for basically the backbone of the industry that does not get that much credit they deserve jessica absolutely where basically it's a two-way conversation right we speak with employers and say how how can he or she move up in your company and I think with any trade that you're in, Jessica, plain and simple, it's education. So we have a non-credit pilot program at Shemekara showing them what they can accomplish on their own time. And we are there to mentor them and helping them. And so is Shemekara, to showing them, hey, there's grants available. There's all these, not just Aivoy, but there's other nonprofits that can help you out where, you know, say say a vineyard steward wants to own his own vineyard management company, good thing that there's a, a Shemekka a small business development center nearby that can help him on a business plan. But plain and simple too, the industry really agrees, Jessica, because this is a great retention program because vineyard stewards might be really gifted on mano de obra. They might be really gifted on agriculture, 
But the sad reality is they do not know when the grapes are delivered to the crush pad at the winery, what happens after as far as winemaking and beyond winemaking, of course, the more important part, you got to keep your product moving, right, Jessica? Right. For any company, plain and simple. You want to know of companies that are not in business is that plain and simple, they're not moving their product. Well, I can't wait to see what happens, especially with your half bottles and your cans. Like, I'm super excited for you, Sam. I I know that there's, especially with summer coming, people are going to want, you know, they want other options as well, right? Some people like the seltzer, some people don't. If the canned wine is good, it'll move, right? That's really the big thing. It's not about it being canned wine. If people like it, it's going to move. So I can't wait to see what happens with this and be like, I knew it. He's, you know, (laughs) I've known Sam, that's my friend. Thank thank you so much, Jessica. I think this is, this is just for any company out there, not to say that you're going to be in your routine of, you're always going to release your same rosé every year during the same time of the year. You're always going to release that one blend because you want to promote it, like say on, you know, Memorial Day or summer to promote barbecues. I think at one point, even for small brand owners, Jessica, with so many brands out there, I'm not talking about even just Latino brands. I'm talking about the business overall in general. Yeah. And I told this to others, Jessica, I am the small brand that thinks and operates like the big wine companies out there. Oh, I can tell. Yeah, well, even even plain and simple too, Jessica, what's in your glass right now, I will be the one to admit, Jessica, I hardly drink Chardonnay. I make Chardonnay plain and simple, Jessica, because it sells. Yeah, I don't drink a lot of Chardonnay either, but I've realized the ones that I do like. I like more steel-aged Chardonnay because it is more crisp. I don't like the heavy, buttery Chardonnays. So those are the ones I stay away from. And honestly, I stayed away from so many for so long because that's what I thought Chardonnay was because I had so many that were like really buttery and really heavy on my palate and I didn't like it. Yeah. Well, even for myself, I make my passion wines, like the forced carbonation wines you're going to try later Mm -hmm. when the sun decides to be consistent and be out, Jessica. (laughs) When you finally get, cuando tienes ya calor, you're going to pop my sparkling Gewürztraminer and life will be good. But I feel that, again, I think so many small companies can get a little too comfortable where, yes, you are making wine that you're passionate about. But at one point, you do have to think out in general what's going to thrive out there on the consumer point of view as well. Not that I'm losing my artistic side. It's just plain and simple, Jessica. I'm a freaking I, I love to compete, Jessica. This is another reason to get into this. You know, when that I, does not shock me, Sam. <laughs> when, when I see this, when I see this gaining shelf space with the big wigs in Oregon, like, you know, it, I, I won't name them. But when I see gaining shelf space and others see, you know, just like the rapper, the game says, you're either going to love it or hate it. <laughs> you're either going to say like, man, way to go, Sam. Or you're going to be like, oh, that's a pinche way. All right. Well, I will say way to go, Sam. I promise. I'll be. Uh, But not way to go. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing. I know your 
Instagram is Para Wine. Is it Para Wine Company Parra, or Para Para Wine Co. Para Wine Co. Website ParaWineCo.com. Make sure to follow Facebook, Sam. Wine Co. Yes, I will make sure to put the links to his social media in the show notes. And if you want to try some of his wines, reach out. Just send a DM. Tell him the wine and cheese mess sent you so he knows that you listen, you're paying attention, and you know where to go. <laughs> yep. Thank you so much, Sam. And actually stay on for a minute and I'll and I'll talk to you. It will kind of just wrap up. But until next time, mi gente. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.